0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. Uh, Let's just read this aloud together this morning. Sing to God, sing in praise of His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before Him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we do pray now in uh, the wonderful, matchless name of Jesus, that we would hear from you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, come, as you already have shown yourself to be present here, we ask now that you would enliven the Word, the preaching of the Scriptures, and uh, that you would help us to take to heart the things that we hear, that we will leave this service of worship different than we came. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shortly before his death in 1977, uh, Elvis Presley wrote these words On a piece of notepaper that was found wadded up in a wastebasket in the room in which he was staying in las vegas nevada i feel so alone sometimes the night is quiet for me i'd love to be able to sleep i'd probably not rest i have no need for all this help me lord ironically the artist who recorded Uh, Are You Lonesome Tonight, his number three all-time best-selling single, this same man who sang about Are You Lonesome Tonight, by all accounts died a very lonesome man just a few months later. There is a major public health crisis in this country that is getting worse, and it's probably not what you think. We hear a lot about the opioid epidemic, which is serious and needs to be addressed and faced. But this is a different kind of issue that affects uh, the, the emotions, the mind, the soul, and yes, the body. The rich and famous struggle with it as much as the poor. Um, someone that, that is high profile like Elvis Presley can struggle with it just like your next door neighbor. When I was a year old in 1957, a poll of the American people showed that only 3% of us Only 3% of us admitted to ever feeling lonely. Now, six decades later, MD Links, which is a new service for physicians, reported earlier this year that loneliness, loneliness is the newest epidemic in America affecting up to 47% of adults. Loneliness is associated with a 26% increase in mortality. People die younger because they're lonely. It's a risk that doctors say is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is also associated with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, not to mention an increased uh, risk for depression, for personality disorders, and even suicide. And a 2010 study found that the risk for Alzheimer's disease doubles, doubles in older adults who are lonely. On the other hand, those who have a secure network of friends and family or involved in church and other organizations, there is a 53% reduction of Alzheimer's. The implications are clear. Our social interactions, our friendships, our connections with other people uh, that are deep and meaningful have impact on our overall well-being and even extend our life and keep us healthy. And it's not just older adults who are lonely. Teens may be glued to their smartphones, but the evidence is they're not socializing in the real world like they used to and so consequently uh, a lot of teens now say they're super lonely and they are more susceptible to suicide and self-harm according to the center for disease control we have never lived in a time people when when we uh, can connect more easily with people through technology and through all the various uh, social media platforms yet we are killing ourselves through isolation. So the question is, what can we do about it? Well, there are folks in the culture, in the nation at large, that are addressing this. The medical community is starting to take note of this. I mean, when was the last time you had a doctor tell you when you had a physical, ask you if, how your friendships were going, how your social life was going? Do you feel lonely, in other words? They just don't do that generally, do they? Here in the church, in this church, we have some answers for the loneliness epidemic. And there's two of them that I want to explore with you. And the first one um, is is one the church has been been proclaiming and modeling and teaching for 2,000 years. We are to invite people into a personal relationship with God Through Jesus Christ. That is our main message. Among the last words of Jesus to His disciples in the Gospels, uh, Matthew 28, verse 20, He said, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Jesus promised His followers, I'm going to be with you. Don't panic. In John chapter 14 and 15, some of his last words were recorded in the upper room to his disciples before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion the following day. He said to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. You're not going to be alone. I will come to you. And he also said three times in John 15, you are my friends. You are my friends. In times of loneliness we have a friend in Jesus amen we have a friend in Jesus Joseph Scriven was born in 1819 and was raised in Ireland he graduated from college in his early 20s and was preparing to marry his childhood sweetheart but on the night of uh, before their wedding His uh, fiance was thrown from her horse, crossing a bridge over a river, and drowned. Scriven was devastated, emotionally shattered by by her death. So this 25-year-old young man uh, decided to leave his family in Ireland and uh, immigrate to Canada and become a teacher. And he continued to struggle with the sorrow that filled his life. Um, His faith uh, grew uh, weak at times, but then began to grow deeper as he got connected with a Plymouth Brethren Church and was baptized. He began to rely on Jesus day by day to carry him through several dark and difficult years. Well, over a decade passed in his life when he fell in love with Eliza Roche, And only weeks before their wedding, she was converted and became a part of his church and was baptized in the cold, icy spring waters of the lake there at the village, um, Port Hope, I think it was called. And and she caught a cold that went into pneumonia and within a few weeks she died. She died. Uh, Joseph Scriven was yet again crushed by his grief, as was his mother that he regularly corresponded with back in Ireland. He sent his mother a poem that was entitled, Pray Without Ceasing. And it was shared with others and eventually was put to music and published as a hymn, anonymously, What a Friend We Have in Jesus'. We've sung that song countless times in this church. It's translated into dozens of languages. I can remember sitting in a a worship service at a little Methodist church in Cambodia um, many years ago when we were serving there for a couple of years, and they started singing this familiar song. I couldn't understand a word they were saying in Khmer, but I knew the tune and began to sing along in English. What a friend we have in Jesus. Well, separated by the Atlantic Ocean from his family and having lost two loves of his life, his two fiancés, He also had uh, a girlfriend that was taken away from him by another suitor. Uh, so that was an additional grief. But as he, as he turned again to Jesus in sorrow and took on a vow of poverty, he tried to live out radically his discipleship as a follower of Jesus and to live by the Sermon on the Mount day by day. He became known in his village as the Good Samaritan. He had an annoying habit, though he was just a layperson, of preaching on the streets of Port Hope. And uh, there were complaints filed against him and he wouldn't stop. He also tutored students that were struggling in school. He cared for widows. He cut wood for the poor. People tried to hire him to do that and he said, no, I will only do it for the poorest of the poor. But at age 66, while battling a serious bout of depression, his friends had gone to sit with him during the night and when they woke up the next morning, they found his bed empty and he was dead on the shore of the lake no one knows for sure if it was an accidental drowning or if he committed suicide really gives us some additional insight perhaps a new perspective on this hymn that means so much to us a lot of the hymns of scripture that that like um It is well with my soul we're forged in a crucible of extreme loss and suffering, of people wrestling with God and coming to peace with the strength of God and the presence of God and the grace of God in a time of extreme loneliness. For those of of us who struggle with such things in our life, this, this hymn... Is very, very comforting. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. In our loneliness, we know the Scripture teaches that God is with us always. God is for us always. And we know this by looking at the life of Jesus. Who is our Redeemer, as we sung earlier in this service, and also our friend. Amen? Jesus is our friend. In Romans chapter 8, uh, chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, we read these powerful verses. Just, just try to pay attention to what Paul is saying about the relationship that God offers us in Jesus Christ. He says, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship, our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, While we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. And then verse 11 is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Now you've heard me teach this before. I believe it with all my heart. It's really foundational to my understanding of ministry uh, and to the gospel. But God is one God, three persons. He is a relational trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can't fully understand that, but what I do understand is that just as God is in relationship within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... He has created all of us, men and women, in His image and invites us to be in relationship with Himself through Jesus and also with one another. The church's answer to loneliness is the same as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus called people of all walks of life, of all status, of all... um, economic status of all races, etc., throughout the history of the early church, we see people called to do what? Come follow Jesus. Now, in our own day, Toy Story has, um, has tried to tell this story of this, this problem of loneliness and isolation in a very lighthearted, humorous way. This is Mallory's, Mallory Shield's uh, Woody. Uh, he's been well-loved. He's over 10 years old. He's he's a little soiled and worn, and for the life of me, I tried to get him to sit down up here, and he just falls down. <laughs> he has he has very little backbone. Uh, uh, he has very little bones at all. He's just, I mean, he's just a toy. I really wish he could just sit there with me, but he's just not going to do it. He's going to lean over and take a nap, I guess. But uh, but in a very light-hearted, humorous way, Toy Story for four films now has dealt with this issue of of the importance of friendship and living in community with others it's just another reason why why adults love these films as much as kids right Um, they're they're kind of developed and scripted on two tiers to the kids and to the parents and the grandparents and others that go see the films i mean connie and i went to see toy story four by ourselves without a child okay (laughs) Uh, there were parts of it a little scary. I didn't like the ventriloqu- ventriloquist dummies. Anybody here like them? Oh, a little bit scary. Uh, and, and I don't know what it means, but I came in the office on Monday morning and Juana was filling in for Shannon this past week and sitting there behind the monitor of the receptionist desk was this little miniature Woody. I don't know where he came from. And I thought, well, that's really weird. I mean, I'm going to be talking about Woody on Sunday. And then I came in on Tuesday, and he had moved. (laughs) And then I came in on Wednesday, and he had moved again. And by the end of the week, he was in a different place. And I began to wonder if toys really are alive when we're not looking. (laughs) I don't know who this Woody belongs to, but I have a feeling there's a child in our church that lost him last week. And you can claim him after church, after worship service is over. You come to me, I'm going to put him in my pocket, okay? Um, But this first movie in this series premiered nearly 25 years ago in 1995. Some of us grown-ups as kids went to see it. And um, the title song for this, this latest entry is The Ballad of the Lonesome Cowboy, which we saw on the screen just a few moments ago, written by Randy Newman, who's written all of these original songs for the movies, and this one performed by Chris Stapleton. And and I just love the lyrics. Um, Honestly, if you tweak these lyrics just a little bit, change three or four words, it could become a gospel song sung by Mike Tevis on a Sunday morning, and it'd be about Jesus and the family of God. I mean, listen to these words again. I was a lonesome cowboy, lonesome as I could be. You came along, changed my life, and fixed what was broken in me. I was a lonesome cowboy. I didn't have a friend. Now I got friends coming out of my ears. I'll never be lonesome again. You can't be happy when you're all by yourself. Go on, tell me I'm wrong. When someone takes you down from the shelf and plays with you some... I'd like to say in praise with you some. It's wonderful. I was a lonesome cowboy, but not anymore. I just found out what love is about. I've never felt this way before. I was a lonesome cowboy, but not anymore. And, And this really leads us to this second answer we have for the problem of loneliness. The church offers a place for people to belong. You remember that the Psalms are Israel's songbook. Uh, all 150 of them were sung by the Jews at various times in the year, just like we have songs we sing at Easter and Christmas. They had songs for the various feasts and festivals that they celebrated. And, and some of them were filled with exuberant praise, but also with heartfelt Prayers, intercessions, and the emotions that were expressed by the writers of the Psalms were sometimes uh, you know, high and wonderful and full of, of gratitude to God, but then there were other times when they were depressed and angry and filled with despair. Some think that Psalm 68 is a collection of lines that, that were gleaned from the prayers of King David. So there's not like a central theme that runs through the entire psalm. It feels a bit gen- disjointed in places, quite frankly. And so it's, it's akin to like a medley of songs. It's kind of like a mashup of uh, the battle hymn of the Republic, of um, Mighty to Save and What a Friend We Have in Jesus, because all of those kinds of, of elements... Uh, are found in the psalm. There's the talk about the great power of God to redeem and to save and to set slaves free. And then there's this strong theme in verses four through six, this strong theme of compassion for the lonely and the helpless. Verse five says that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Um, in the Old Testament, God set lonely people in families. Uh, there was provision for the stranger and the alien for all people to find a way into the covenant family of God in, the, in, in the, the people of Israel. And in the New Testament, that's expanded. There's no question about it. And so there are many good words that are used in the New Testament describe who we are. The most obvious is church. We're a congregation. We're disciples of Jesus. Uh, We are Christians. We are called saints in the New Testament, the body of Christ. We're called friends by Jesus, but we are also family. And I experience this every single week in this church, this, this family dynamic. And it's one of the things that keeps me motivated and energized for ministry. When I see this church functioning As a family that loves one another unconditionally, that works through difficult and hard conversations and situations with each other, that that forgives one another when we hurt each other, when we sin against each other, that encourages me because that's what families do. That's what the family of God does. And when we experience loss, we're going through hard and difficult times and we feel alone. We know there are people that have our back that will stand with us and pray for us and be there, just simply be there for us. I experienced this this past Monday at St. Joe Hospital when I saw four women from Helen Patrick's Christian Journey Group sit with her most of the day while Barry was having a very complicated uh, multi-hour heart surgery that uh, ended up um, resulting in his death later that evening. And uh, Connie and I had been by earlier in the day. We found out that, that uh, he was not doing well, that there had been cardiac failure. So we got in the car and we drove back to St. Joe. And we got there in time to, to sit with Helen and, and, uh, and to be with the women for a while. And then we all went up to the uh, cardiac intensive care unit. And the seven of us just surrounded Barry's bed, and we prayed for Helen and for Katie, and uh, we just commended Barry into God's care. And it was just amazing to me uh, to see love in flesh, the love of God in flesh in those four women, those four friends, right, Helen, That, that came and just sat with her that were present with her. Katie was away for work, uh, out of state, and she couldn't be there. But those four women were there. And, and that is what we're supposed to be for one another as members of the body of Christ. Joy Mulligan has got uh, a similar testimony, and she's going to come and, and share. She did a beautiful job at 8.30, and uh, I think Jeremy's going to be her escort because she is still recovering from uh, a fall earlier this year.
1: Good morning. I just want to take a few minutes and tell you why I feel so blessed and thankful to be a member of this church family. Uh, from the time I first came, the first Sunday <clears throat> I came a little over nine years ago, I felt welcome that day, and I have ever since then. And uh, it wasn't long after that that there were many, many prayers for my special needs granddaughter, and I appreciated that. It's uh, and then, a couple of years ago, when my son was diagnosed with colon cancer, again, lots of prayers and thought and thoughts, and I appreciated that so much. But it wasn't until I, about six months ago I fell and fractured my hip that personally I realized the abundance of prayers and, and good wishes and help I received from church members, from prayers and cards from lots of you all, and from two small groups that I love. My Sunday school class uh, called and sent cards and sent dinner many nights and continued to pray for me. And then my Christian journey group was amazing. Uh, They not only um, brought food and prayed for me, they even brought our meeting to my house, so I wouldn't have to miss when I was not ambulating well. And then, when I still couldn't drive for months, they uh, drove me everywhere to church and Sunday school, to meetings, to appointments, grocery shopped for me, and again sent uh, food. And they're still so thoughtful and caring. You know, we started out in this small group, and with just a people I knew from church but didn't know them well. And it doesn't take long until you're good friends with the whole group. It's just a small, small group, but you share so many things. We meet uh, most of the time in a private home and it's comfortable and casual, we share fellowship, music, praises, scripture, prayers. It's uh, truly a blessing. So I want to urge you, if you haven't been a member of a journey group or a Sunday school class, you know to experience the true joy and blessing you can get from those small groups you have to join. And you can do that today. There'll be a table out when you leave. So uh, I hope some of you consider that. And thank you for all your support and prayers. God bless.
0: Joy, I appreciate so much you sharing uh, the way you did this morning because that, um, that illustrates just exactly what, what I've been wanting to say to this congregation. The fact that, that God sets the lonely in families is an objective truth. But in order for us to fully experience the blessing of, of that kind of family relationship within uh, a church, within our church, You've got to make some movement yourself. You've got to make some decisions. So beyond joining a Christian journey group um, in these coming weeks, um, I also encourage you to consider being a part of a Sunday school class or a Bible study. Uh, perhaps the Bible journaling group that meets on, meets on Sundays every month would be a way for you to connect with others more deeply. Um, I also encourage you to invite lonely people into the life of this uh, faith community. We all have lonely neighbors. I mean, my goodness, if 40 to 47% of adults are struggling with loneliness, I can guarantee you have people in your neighborhood that need an invitation. And don't just invite once, try time and time again. Uh, The statistics say that it takes probably a dozen times before somebody will respond to an invitation to come to church or to some event related to a church. Look for newcomers in our services of worship. Go to them and speak to them. Now don't say, you know, um, well, you must be new to the church. I've I've never seen you before. Because sometimes you'll find out they've been here for 40 years, you know. (laughs) And they've never seen you either because you're sitting on different sides of the sanctuary. Uh, Just say, you know, I don't think we have ever met before. I would like to hear something about your story. Uh, Participate in this short-term mission trip. You'll experience community in a new way by going to Redbird. Get involved with others in ministry, with people who have greater needs than you have. Uh, Dr. Carl Menninger, who was a renowned psychiatrist of the 20th century, um, was asked uh, back uh, 30, 40 years ago uh, what a lonely person bordering on nervous breakdown should do. And at that time, there weren't these psychotic medications people can take for depression and anxiety, not many at least. Um, He didn't say go see a psychiatrist or a therapist, even though he was one himself. This is what he said, and he was right on. He said, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks... Okay, And find someone in need and do something for them. I mean, there is a, a, a joy that comes and a connection that can result in laying down your lives for others in Jesus' name. Now, I've just wondered, have you ever been one of those lonely people who, whom God sets in families? In this family? Now, I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to be real transparent and be real, authentic, hopefully, for some of you as I close this message. I know all too well after 12 years with you that this church is flawed. Did you hear me? I'm reminded of this on a regular basis. When hurting, angry, frustrated, and wounded people come to me and say things like, well, we're, we're thinking about leaving the church. Or worse, we are leaving the church. Invariably, with few exceptions, it's always a consequence of someone's sin. Someone has sinned against someone else. And sometimes there's been a lot of sin in going back and forth between those someones. People have felt overlooked or neglected Or abused or hurt by someone's actions or words we all we all fall short we all sin that is the nature of the church here's a confession of faith for you and we ought to say it periodically I believe in a church that is always full of sinners say that with me I believe in a church that is always full of sinners say it again i believe in a church that is always full of sinners some of you grimaced when you said it but the fact is i'm a sinner you're a sinner we are all sinners and we make up this church but i believe i believe with all my heart that we are still the best thing going that we are the still the best hope for this world We are better than a community club or a sports team. We beat a bridge club or a bar any day of the week. Five years ago when the steel beams of our new addition, our fellowship hall and gym and all those classrooms and youth youth room was going up, um, we were encouraged as members to go out with a sharpie and to write a prayer or a scripture verse on those steel beams. Some of you all did that, didn't you? And I went out there with a the camera and I took pictures of every single one of them and I wept through that experience as I read your words. Some put your names on the beam, others did not. And an anonymous person wrote these words on one of those beams. And I know about where it is over in that new building behind a wall in the gathering uh, space. This church and these people saved me. This church and these people, you are those people, they saved me. Yes, even with our imperfections and our failures, we are a place of grace. The church is a place where people can find redemption and salvation. The church is a place where forgiveness and new beginnings can be experienced. If not here, where? Where will you find that in our culture? The church is a place where people can find fellowship and joy and laughter and celebration. The church is where lifelong friendships can be formed that that will stay with you until the day you die. The church is a place for the lonesome. And if you are one of those people, I'm so thankful that you are a part of the family of God. And if you aren't, I invite you to be fully connected, more fully connected with this church family. To respond in some concrete ways to some of the suggestions I made or however else God may move in your life. But come join us. Come join us and help us be more complete, more more family than we already are.